0: Show me the way to go home I'm tired and I want to go to bed I had a little drink about an hour ago And it's gone right to my head Wherever I may roam On land or sea or foam, You can always hear me sing this song Show me the way
1: to go home Hello and welcome to the virtual pub for some drinks, trivia and social history with absolutely no tasting notes. I'm Tim and I'm joined by my drinking buddy, Leary. And Leary, I have a question for you.
0: Uh Uh-oh, that's an early doors one.
1: Are you thirsty?
0: (laughs) (laughs) Define thirsty. (laughs) (laughs)
1: <laughs> and I will do that throughout this episode. <laughs> what um, are, you, are you drinking something to quench your thirst? I am.
0: I made a last minute change of plans. I was going to have a beer, but it's really bloody cold. So I've got an Irish coffee to warm me up.
1: Oh, nice. What have you mm. used to Irish it up?
0: Mm-mm-mm. Sorry, I'm too, having too much fun drinking it. Um, I have used some... Um, Abba Falls Distillery, North Wales Whiskey, to put in t- tea. So it's kind of Welsh take on Irish
1: coffee. Mm. Very, very nice. nice. Uh, I went for what I think is standard thirst quencher, which is a lager. Mm. I feel like you can't really beat a lager when you're properly thirsty. So Can I've I got just, Manchester um, Uni-
0: sorry, point out to everyone before you go on. You're in the office drinking again, aren't you?
1: <laughs> yeah, I gotcha. <laughs> <laughs> I brought... I brought in cans this morning. Um, it's been properly, <laughs> properly now. insulated, so they're still cold.
0: So sorry, what they is it you're indeed,
1: drinking? I don't care. Manchester, Manchester Union Lager is That's what nice. I'm drinking. Um,
0: <laughs> just not even trying to hide right. it this week.
1: <laughs> oh no, I haven't even no, I haven't even put it in like a metal uh, generic container. I haven't even put it in a glass. It's fully just in the can. Um, I've given up. Anyway, um, I am asking you whether you're thirsty or not because I want to tell you a story. Um, and this is the story of Tantalus. Have you ever heard of Tantalus? No. Okay, I feel good. like I'm about to. Yeah. Well, that's good. I like I like when you <laughs> don't know things. Gives me somewhere to go. Um, <laughs> right. There may have been an historical Tantalus who was possibly the ruler of an Anatolian city. So that's like Turkey now, named Tantalus. But. Rather than speculate on uh, archaeological remains, I'm going to tell you about the myth. So the myth of Tantalus um, is that he became one of the inhabitants of Tartarus. I know they're similar things, not to confuse you early doors. Tartarus is the deepest portion of the underworld that is reserved for the punishment of evildoers. And we are told through the tales of um, Odysseus in, in the Odyssey that he sees Tantalus down in Tartarus. But why is what we want to know. Tantalus was initially known for having been welcomed to Zeus's table in Olympus, home of the gods, king of the gods, um, supposedly as one of his offspring. And there he is said to have abused Zeus's hospitality and stolen ambrosia and nectar. Do you know what those two things are?
0: Uh, Rice pudding and...
1: Mm
0: -hmm, mm -hmm. um,
1: honey yeah great um so (laughs) in in greek antiquity they are the food and drink of the gods ambrosia and nectar uh so tantalus stole it from zeus to bring it back back to his people and thereby revealed the secrets of the gods so might sound like a sort of altruistic thing to bring back to the people but you know if you know the story of prometheus then you know it's not going to end well are you familiar with Prometheus?
0: Uh, I've seen the uh, film, the Alien.
1: Yeah, no, nothing. Sequel. Absolutely <laughs> nothing. Nothing to do with that. So I'm asking you a lot of questions when I said I was going to tell a story. Prometheus stole fire <laughs> from the gods uh, and gave it to humanity, uh, and for this act, he was sentenced to have his liver pecked out every day by an eagle he was tied to rocks and an eagle would come down it would eat his liver and then every day his liver would grow back and he would get eaten out again so um the the moral is when you read your your greek classics don't steal stuff from the gods because it's not going to go well so what happened <laughs> to tantalus th- th- this bit is a bit confusing tantalus offers up his son pelops as a sacrifice and you might think okay he's like sacrificing his son to say sorry to the gods but now here's what he does he cuts pelops up boils him and serves him up at a banquet for the gods in order to test their omniscience so he's not apologizing he's like i wonder if they know (laughs) (laughs) the gods do become aware of uh the gruesome menu so none of them touch the offering except for demeter um who is like the the goddess of the harvest and she's distraught because her daughter persephone has been taken to the underworld away from her so she actually eats part of the boy's shoulder absent-mindedly then one of the three fates uh called cloto was ordered by zeus to bring the boy pelops to life again so she collects the parts of the body and boils them in a sacred cauldron but has to rebuild the shoulder because it's already been eaten with uh, one wrought from ivory, which has been made by Hephaestus, the god Hephaestus, and presented by Demeter because she ate the shoulder originally. (laughs) Then the revived Pelops grows to be this handsome youth that the god Poseidon takes away to Mount Olympus to teach him how to use chariots. Um, and that's all nice for a while until Zeus decides it's time to punish Tantalus, throws Pelops out of Olympus and then takes an even greater revenge. Why were they so angry? Like, what is the lesson it's it's teaching us? Um, it's not just because you shouldn't steal from gods. It's an example of breaking the, um, the concept of hospitality in ancient Greece called Xenia, which was really important to them. Uh, It's translated usually as guest friendship or ritualised friendship, and it's all rooted in generosity, gift exchange, reciprocity. So historically, hospitality towards foreigners and guests, or Hellenis, as they would have been known, which just means not not of your polis or not of your city, was understood as a moral obligation. So hospitality towards uh, foreign Hellenis, honoured Zeus, when it was called Xenios, and Athena Xenia because um, they were the patron gods of foreigners. So that's what the kind of the moral is. It's like, look, don't don't serve foreigners terrible meals and steal things from them because the gods are going to punish you. You need to be nice. Tantalus's punishment, then, for this act was to stand in a pool of water beneath a fruit tree with low branches. You might think that doesn't sound so bad. But whenever he reaches for the fruit... The branches raise his intended meal from his grasp and whenever he bends down to get a drink the water recedes before he can get any so he's always hungry and always thirsty and on top of that over his head um hangs a, a stone like the one that sisyphus is punished uh, to roll forever up a hill and never reach the top so stone dangling about to crush him but never does Fruit right near him, but he can't uh, get it to satisfy his, sung- his hunger, and water beneath him that constantly recedes, so he can't slake his thirst. What do you think about that as a punishment?
0: I think, yeah, it's nothing worse than being hungry, is no, it's not going to mm-hmm.
1: be fun. It's not going to be fun. Uh, Tantalus was also the founder of the cursed house of Atreus, uh, in which. Uh, variations on these atrocities continue. You can read all about the antics of the House of Atreus in uh, the plays of Euripides and Sophocles, for example. It's when we meet Agamemnon, Iphigenia, Electra, etc. It's his, basically, his descendants are what almost all of the Greek tragedies are based on. (laughs) So no one descended from him was having a good time. Uh, So his name and his punishment are the source of the English word tantalize so that's where we get the idea of tantalize from it is from the story of tantalus um, meaning to torment with the sight of something desired but out of reach or to tease by arousing expectations that are repeatedly disappointed that's where we get tantalize Hmm. i always think of
0: tantalizing as more of a positive though not like agonizingly
1: like i need right yeah which it's the more modern interpretation of tantalizing has been that it's sort of a rising expectation before a satisfying conclusion but Mm -hmm. originally it means you will never get it it's Mm. always out of reach so we have sort of corrupted the meaning of that somewhat now because we as modern humans can't possibly understand the concept of not getting what we want (laughs) exactly um there's a really cool object you can see that's been inspired by this story in the british museum called the tantalus cup which is also sometimes known as the greedy cup or the pythagoras cup and it's described as a concept by hero of alexandria as far back as the first century so what what this cup does is you pour liquid in i mean presumably wine and after a certain point it empties from the bottom. So there's a central column within the cup and a hidden hole at the base. And thanks to, let's just say physics, when you hit a certain level, the pressure means that the liquid is forced out of the bottom, which is an action otherwise known as siphoning, except that you don't know when it's going to happen. And once it starts, it doesn't stop. So it's not like a little overflow in the sink where if you overfill it it just a bit dribbles out if you overfill it it completely empties all over you so the point is to encourage you to only take a small amount of wine at a time if you overfill your glass it's all going to go all over you it's a really clever mind bending contraption because every how it works is completely hidden hmm. would you like one
0: i don't know <laughs> Can I be
1: trusted? Is the question. No, you absolutely can't be trusted. And also (laughs) how likely are you to not overfill it yourself? (laughs)
0: Exactly.
1: (laughs) But yeah, if you're in the British Museum, try and find the Tantalus cup, because it's a really kind of cool bit of um, invention. And you can also find a Tantalus cabinet. This isn't quite as old um but a a tantalus cabinet is a small wooden cabinet containing two or three decanters and its defining feature is really that it has a lock and key so the aim of that is to stop unauthorized people from drinking the contents um in the in the description of it it says servants and younger sons getting at the whiskey (laughs) you know so (laughs) you'll be fine apparently um so it still allows the decanters to be on show so it's not sealed like in a in a complete box it's like a bottle carrier if you know like if you go to the supermarket and you get a few bottles of wine and they give you a carrier it looks like that rather than a large glass fronted display cabinet if you see what i mean Mm -hmm. so you 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 lock it up and you have to open a side panel in order to get the decanter out so that's why it's a tantalus cabinet because you can see it but you can't have it (laughs) gotcha and um the original patent for that is from 1881 and that was by George Betjeman, who's a cabinet maker from Germany, and Betjeman and Sons had workshops at Pentonville um, Road in London from the eighteen thirties, and they're also a notable family because George was the grandfather of the poet John Betjeman, who, in his work uh, called Summoned by Bells, said that that was the source of the family fortune. Was that pattern for that um, that Tantalus cabinet? There you go. Hmm. I do want to tell you my favourite thing that's been inspired by Tantalus, uh, which is a, well, it's a work of fiction. It's a dramatic work. You can actually watch it if you search for it on YouTube. Um, it was part of the modern Beckett on film um, versions that they, they put up on YouTube. And it's called Act Without Words One. So this is a short play by Samuel Beckett, which is a a mime. There's no dialogue. It was first performed in 1957. And here's how it runs the action takes place in a desert illuminated by a dazzling light and the cast is just one man who at the start of the play is flung backwards onto the stage it's a very dramatic opening after he lands he hears a whistle from the right wing uh, which he takes as some kind of um call and after a bit of reflection goes in that direction off stage only to be hurled back again and then the sound issues from the left and the scene happens in reverse. He goes off. He's flung back again. There is no exit from this place that he's found himself in. So he sits on the ground and looks at his hands. And then a number of objects are lowered into the set that begin with this big palm tree with a single bough um, three yards off the ground. And its arrival, like that of all the other objects, um, comes with the same sharp whistle and on being made aware of the existence of the tree the man moves into its shade but keeps looking at his hands and then a pair of tailor scissors come down from uh, the ceiling and again the man doesn't notice until he hears the whistle and then he starts to trim his nails and then over the course of the play other items are lowered from above there are three cubes of varying sizes there's a length of knotted rope um, always just out of reach and a tiny carafe to which is attached a huge label that says water and then the rest of the sketch is all about his frustrated efforts so he tries to survive to get water but it keeps being reached uh, drawn out of uh, out of his reach so you can see why it's inspired by tantalus um, he learns to put the small cube on top of the large cube in order to stand on it and reach higher so he invents solutions or he's given inventions like the scissors like the rope But as soon as he learns to use the tools effectively, they're confiscated from him. They fly out of his hands. Even things like the scissors, when he reasons that, in addition to cutting his fingernails, he could also cut his throat. Um, Or um, when he figures he could use the blocks and the rope to hang himself as gallows over the tree, they're all whisked away from him. So Beckett is really kind of like he was really inspired by the silent screen comp. Uh, comedies of Buster Keaton, for example, who all kind of do these things where they encounter objects that seem to have a mind of their own, like they're completely out of control um, of the protagonist. So eventually it, it looks as though a guy has given up. He sits on the big cube and after a while even that's pulled away from him and he's left on the ground. And from that point on, he absolutely just refuses to play the game. Even when the carafe of water is dangled in front of his face, he doesn't try to grab it the palm the palms of the palm tree open providing shade again but he doesn't move into it he just sort of sits there in the light looking at his hands that's the conclusion of it so he he takes that inspiration from tantalus but in the existential period that he was writing in he sort of posits the idea of what if we stop trying <laughs> what if we just give up what happens then do we have any power in the situation do we have the power to give up which is a question I think he would ask Tantalus. Why do you keep trying?
0: Yeah, I think Ooh. I'd have given up by then. <laughs> like, oh, fuck this. <laughs> it's,
1: the, it's the big question of humanity. Why? Why do you keep going? On that note, um, do you have any tips for this man? If he found himself in this desert-like environment and he couldn't get his hands on any water, Like, what do we, what do, we do when we're thirsty and we're in trouble?
0: There are some options. Some of them are a bit gross, a bit desperate. But uh-huh. if you're on a desert island, desperate times. Um, so th- I'm gonna I'm gonna use it. The low hanging fruit would be <laughs> uh, rain. <laughs> so if it does happen to rain when you're on your desert island, you're gonna want to collect that so you can drink it. Uh, so you're gonna need a container if you happen to have a bowl or a plate or a helmet that would be fine. Um, If you haven't some stretched clothing, uh, a life raft, um, anything you can find that's clean and dry (laughs) and not full of bacteria and germs, use that to collect your rainwater. Uh, In very dry environments, uh, condensation does form on surfaces overnight as well. So you can use a tarp or other fabric shaped like a bowl to perhaps collect that water. Um, So follow trails of vegetation, um, but obviously think about conserving your energy. Um, Don't just go walking aimlessly if you can't see anything for hours and hours because you're going to use up all your energy and pass out. So look for greenery that's not too far away and head there. Uh, catching fish is another one so the obvious thing would be to catch catch fish and eat them for food um, but there is some drinkable liquid around a fish's eyes um, as do their spines they contain a drinkable liquid except shark spines so try not to catch a shark <laughs> just catch a fish oh, sure. <laughs> that's uh, my first option And, um, yeah, it's advised that you suck the eyes and break the vertebrae of the spine apart and suck the liquid from those as well. Yum, yum, yum. uh, The fish's flesh also contains drinkable water. Uh, Fish are high in protein as well, and protein digestion requires additional water, so you're better off squeezing raw fish in clothing or tarp to extract the water rather than eating the fish to get the water, the benefit of the water. Uh, next top tip bird poop look for it <laughs> in dry climates um, you might be able to find a water source by looking for bird poo they often congregate around cracks in rocks where water collects um, so as unappetizing as it might seem if you see a crack in a rock that's big enough to stuff some some cloth or material into you might find some water if you keep stuffing it, <laughs> which can then also be wrung and and imbibed. Just pick the bits of poo out first. Right.
1: <laughs> S- squeeze the fish, stuff the crack, pick the poo. Yes. Oh, yeah, okay, I am making notes, I'm making
0: yeah, notes. Okay. Uh, Not for last... the spreadsheet,
1: but I am making notes.
0: <laughs> the last one is um, located in fruit trees, namely banana and plantain trees. Um, mm-hmm. Not just eat the fruit, although that would be yummy. Uh, Cut down the tree, leaving the stump about one foot high. Scoop out the centre of the stump so the hollow is bowl shaped. The roots will continually refill the stump with water for about four days. Um, So the first three fillings will be quite bitter, but the subsequent fillings will be less so. Um, And there's a nice water source for four days. You'll have to cover the stump to keep insects out. But that is a good one. I always
1: do.
0: Desperate times, there's two things that I haven't mentioned that people might think, I'll just drink that instead. Uh, Uh Number one is (laughs) seawater. Don't drink the sea. It's generally not very safe. However, there is a small amount you can drink. So obviously seawater is very salty. Uh, That can cause kidney failure. So don't be down in pints of it. Um, Two quarts of body fluid are required to rid the body of the waste in one quart of seawater. So as a last resort, you can drink less than 32 ounces of seawater per day. Although it's not healthy, it will kind of keep you alive. There's that small margin of seawater you can drink when you are literally at the end of your tether. Uh Uh, And last but not least, drink your own piss. Why not? really no please don't drink piss it's a bad idea um okay lots, I was lots go- I was of people go- I was say go- it's healthy um i think Gillian mckeith will probably tell you it's fine um but no it's not the best plan to be drinking your own piss
1: yeah um qi told me not to um they said it's a way it's out of you because it's a waste product so don't drink it no matter exactly. what exactly no matter what Bear Grylls tells you to do.
0: As the hands say, it's an extra reason.
1: Yes. <laughs> <laughs> um, have we spoken before about the Bear Grylls video where he gives himself a colonic?
0: Um, I mean, I've talked about that quite a lot in my life, but whether or not it was on yeah, this podcast, I don't, I don't I was know.
1: say, I don't... Yeah, uh, I, I definitely told you about this, but I don't know whether it was on here. Anyway, let's do it quickly. Um, Bear Grills did a, if you're on a life raft and you collect water, but it's not hygienic, what should you do? Obviously, don't drink it if it's dirty water because it'll make you sick and you'll get more dehydrated. But what you can do is put it up your bum. So if you can get a funnel and uh, siphon it, much like a tantalus cup, um, into your colon, then it filters out all the bad stuff. So your colon is better at filtering water than you know your your mouth and your stomach are. Mm. And there's uh, quite a graphic video of him uh, doing that <laughs> that you can watch should you wish to. <laughs> but um, when I worked for a company that was selling vouchers for different health and beauty experiences, one of them was to go for a colonic um, for eight Poup- pounds. By a the coupon. way, eight, eight pounds would get you a poop on. And um, in order to demonstrate the effectiveness of that, I embedded that video of Bear Grylls giving himself <laughs> a kind of life raft. <laughs> and um, it sold out. It sold out in literally a couple of hours. <laughs> and people were like, how did that get so much attention? I was like, "Well." Wow.
0: <laughs> so I gave you quite a few options there and you mm-hmm. threw that one at the end. So yeah. what would you be doing if you were on the desert island?
1: on it <laughs> straight away I mean I would train an army of monkey servants to bring me coconuts that's what I would do I I'd would go pr- probably king, be king of the island about it
0: Stuffing in the crack and drinking my own tears <laughs>
1: <laughs> great um <laughs> on that note I have a question for you
0: another okay
1: Are you thirsty?
0: Uh, After that conversation, I'm not, if I'm honest.
1: (laughs) I'm going back to actually what you sort of implied by the first time I asked you, are you thirsty?
0: Yeah, but then Um, you told me about Bear Grylls giving himself a colonic and I'm not thirsty anymore.
1: You're not thirsty anymore. Exactly. (laughs) Well, let let me expand on that. So thirsty as as a word is uh, Old English. So it comes from the Germanic before that. And in the metaphor sense, so not just kind of I need some water, but in a general craving sense, it goes back as far as the 13th century. So things like thirsting for love or thirsting for power or anything that people strongly crave. Um, she came from Greece, she had a thirst for knowledge. Um, <laughs> that goes back. I think Jarvis Cocker is from the Renaissance or something, so that's pretty old. <laughs> uh, but you get it. Like that's as a metaphor, it's been around a long time where it takes a sort of more sinful turn unsurprisingly is the 1980s where thirsty uh, from then on comes to also be slang for desperately craving drugs specifically according to green's dictionary of slang that is and that was probably the precursor for the meaning that's um related later on to the craving of attention of a sexual kind or otherwise so i think it started in 1980s drugs and then it moved into sex as so many things did um, Thirst was first added to the Urban Dictionary in 2003 but really its use hits a, a peak I think around 2014 and that's because that's the year that Diet Coke introduced its Thirsty ad campaign so it had a, a tagline on one of the ads that seemed to suggest um, well lots of things really that um, that drinking the soda was like snorting cocaine That the average Diet Coke drinker was prone to using sex to advance their career. Um, Maybe that someone um, was plainly sexually desperate and needs to be reined in. Uh, They had a tagline of, be ambitious, not thirsty, you're on Diet Coke. (laughs) (laughs) So clearly they're trying to like play up to all those ideas. And then um, Thirst Trap, you uh, may have heard of as well. Have you, have you is it going to be like asking you have you heard of prometheus or have you heard of thirst trap
0: i am a thirst trap
1: <laughs> <laughs> okay well let's see if that's true um, <laughs> so thirst trap culture comes from selfies um, and the term thirst trap emerged on twitter and urban dictionary in 2011 and throughout the years as kind of you know different things have risen snapchat instagram tinder etc so 2011 it was defined as any statement used to intentionally create attention or thirst in 2018 it's gone into common usage because in places like the new york times and gq they start using the term thirst trap without specifying what it means so that's always when you can tell when something's entered common parlance is when you know big publications don't explain it anymore um so there's there's an extension of thirst trap as well, Gatsbying. Have you heard of Gatsbying? No. So, whereas Thirst Trap is kind of open to everyone, you know, um, Gatsbying um, is when you put uh, posts on social media to attract the attention of just one individual. So, it's alluding to the novel The Great Gatsby, where the main character, Jay Gatsby, would throw these massive parties to attract the attention of his love interest, Daisy. So, if, if someone's Laying a thirst trap for one specific person, we call that Gats being. In twenty nineteen, your favourite drink, for (laughs) loco, sorry, second favourite drink after buckfast, uh, for loco. Which can you remind us what that is? By the way, do you remember?
0: Um, for loco is it's like a, a very caffeinated, very alcohol heavy, fizzy drink per se in a can.
1: (laughs) Yeah, exactly. So. That responsible brand uh, commissioned a study where sixty thousand Instagram images from fifty U.S. states and ten international cities were analyzed to see the prevalence rate of thirst traps. <laughs> any any predictions as to <laughs> uh, what's what U.S. state or city came out tops? Um. Oh,
0: where did they do Mardi Gras? Sorry,
1: cities. Mardi Gras. Yeah,
0: wherever Mardi Gras
1: is. Do you mean New Orleans? in Yes, the maybe. Well, you're not a million miles away, but no, it's Miami. Mm. Miami was found to have the highest prevalence rate in the US, with 36 out of 1,000 photos being thirst traps. Mm. <laughs> so there you go. That's where kind of like that sense of thirsty that you alluded to at the top comes from. Uh, I've got another question for you.
0: Okay, hit are,
1: me. Are you thirsty?
0: I am now, yeah.
1: <laughs> okay, so <laughs> I wanted to just go into actual thirst. Um, like, what is it? How it happen? So simply put, our bodies need to supplement their liquid stocks. Um, 50-60% of our body weight is water. The average adult loses about 700 grams of water by sweating uh, a day and not in a lifetime, and and excretes about 1.3 litres through urine. So digesting foods, we get 350 grams of fluid per day. But the process of losing and taking of liquid isn't sufficient for uh, keeping water in an amount that is essential to our body. So thirst is that sign that warns that the body needs more water. Many people think that thirst is due to dry mouth. Like that's where thirst comes from. Your mouth is dry or you have a dry throat, but that's not true. Um, so the dry mouth can occur for various reasons, such as you're nervous um, or a slow secretion of the salivary, salivary glands. Almost had a slow secretion myself there. Um, exactly where you think. Um, so <laughs> oh dear. Um, you can make your salivary glands work harder, though, by taking in some lemon juice, for example, and that doesn't affect the thirst. So you could have a dry mouth, increase the saliva production, but not quench your thirst. In other words, um, the work of the salivary glands may be normal. The stomach, bloodstream, and urinary bladder can be filled with water, and yet we can still feel thirst. Someone can drink a few glasses of water or beer and still be thirsty um, if in the meantime they are eating salted peanuts, for example. The reasons for this are that the uh, that um, changes of the amount of salt in our blood causes thirst in normal blood there are certain amounts of water and salts and if that relationship changes for the benefit of salt we feel thirst and it happens in the brain so there's a center for thirst reacting to a certain amount of salts in the blood and if that amount changes the center responds to the way uh, it sends a message back uh, to the pharynx. From there, it goes um, into the brain as a result of those combined feelings, uh, thirst occurs. So it's sort of like, it. it obviously it's physiological, it's in the blood, it's water and salt, but it's also very much a process in the brain as opposed to a process in the mouth or throat. Um, but beyond that, thirst is also a learned habitual thing. It could be about a craving for caffeine or alcohol. It could be many things that aren't necessarily related to uh, water levels. And then also when you're not thirsty, but you have a feeling of satiety, that is also an active process that's stimulated in the brain. So it's another process that happens. It's not just an absence of thirst, as it were. It's not like you have one process with a gauge that gets kind of filled or emptied, as we might imagine with our water levels, there are actually two different parts of the brain that send out signals. So it kind of makes it a bit more complicated as to what thirst actually is, because it could be a physiological process. It's something that happens in the brain, but it can also be completely cultural as well. I think the only way you can really describe thirst is the desire to intake liquid or the action of it even. Mm-hmm. Did you know, in fact, that uh, coconut water and cactus juice can quench your thirst better than regular water due to really? the sort of things that they contain? Yeah, you. I think people might always think that water is the most hydrating, but um, to stop that feeling of thirst, something like uh, cactus juice has lots of potassium um, and uh, electrolytes and iron mm-hmm. and, also, and low in sugar and all sorts of things that will actually work harder to rebalance those levels in your blood than water alone will. Doesn't mean if you're in the desert, you can drink any cactus juice, though. Not all cactuses are tasty good. Obviously, (laughs) we've discovered the Apuntia, the prickly paw, is awesome and does lots of things but there are plenty of uh, cacti out there that if you were to drink their water, especially if, if it's on an empty stomach, it will just make you vomit and have diarrhea because it has diuretics in it and make you very ill indeed. So don't think that cactuses are like they are in cartoons whereby you can just tap them for some water and survive in the desert because plenty of them are actually quite toxic.
0: Yeah, stick
1: to uh, sucking fish eyes, safer. Stick to sucking fish eyes. Um, have you got anything else before I get to my uh, outro fact?
0: um no i i I feel compelled to drink some water after this might go all out
1: (laughs) (laughs) it would be wild seeing you drink some water (laughs) um all right outro fact what have i got it's not that related the most prolonged drought ever in the world in recorded history continues in the atacama desert or as you would call it atacama uh, in Chile, which has been going for 400 years without any wetness, which means it's even drier than your husband.
0: Wow, I knew that was coming.
1: <laughs> and so our glasses have run very dry, which means it's time to slake our thirst on Zeus's nectary teat.
0: How oh.
1: tantalising. <laughs> Cheers, everybody. I
0: don't think it's
1: tantalising. Wherever <laughs> I may roll, You can always hear me singing this song.
0: Show me the way to go.